0: We are in John 14. We are in the upper room. We are examining the last discourse uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples. Everyone else is gone. It's the 11 now. And uh, chapters uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 13 through 17, give us the things that were said privately to his disciples in the upper room. Uh, As we come to this place in chapter 14, Jesus challenged them not to let their hearts be troubled. He spoke to them about heaven and the things that were awaiting them. Told them that if they had seen him, they had seen the Father and so forth. And he ended in verses 13 and 14, where we ended last week, saying, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that will the reason that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. We've come to verse 15, and now Jesus is going to begin to unveil the truths about the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit was spoken of in the Old Testament. the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on Samson, came upon Samson. You know, the great humans with all their flaws and all their failings, David would say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But the Holy Spirit never indwelt anyone in the Old Testament so that they lifted their head to heaven and said, Abba, Father. And Jesus now is going to begin 14, 15, 16 to talk about the Holy Spirit and say, don't be troubled. Yes, I'm leaving, but someone else is coming. And it's expedient, sixteen seven that I go, because if I don't go, he says, the comforter will not come. So he's going to tell them, look, if Jesus were to stay here, you, I, you and I needed comfort. We needed consolation. We'd all have to travel to Jerusalem and the lines would be long. <clears throat> and you might die before you get up to the front of the line where you'd ask him for his help. You'd pour out your heart. But he says, if I go, I will come to you in the person of the Spirit. And now, everyone in this room and every Christian around the world, whatever circumstance they're in, whatever amount of pain they're in, or difficulty, or joy, we have Jesus with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to give us a remarkably pictured these things. And in verse 26, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the comforter. He will bring all things to your remembrance. And John is no doubt experiencing that over 90 years old as he's writing verbatim that conversation in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit is bringing these things to remembrance for him. So verse 15 is where we pick up. <clears throat> it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. And because I live, you shall live also. So coming to this position, he begins to say, if the class condition seems to be since you love me, and it's a present tense there, keep loving me. Since you do that, as Christians, we keep loving Christ. He's our Savior and he says, if we keep loving him, that we should keep his commandments. The, the word keep there is a military. We should guard his commandments. Now, his commandments are not the commandments that Moses gave. This is not the law. The commandments of Jesus are not to make us cower and think, well, I can never keep the law. He's not Moses. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear with him there. And Luke tells us that they, they talk to Jesus about his decease that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word nobody accomplishes a decease, by the way. The word there is exodus. They talk to him about the exodus he would accomplish because Moses, his exodus you know, that he led the people in was not successful. Elijah, when he called the people back to God, his reformation was not successful. So Jesus is not here to do an exodus like Moses did under the law. He's here to give us his precepts, his teachings. And he says, if we are the ones, and since we are the ones that go on loving him, that then we should guard his precepts. He tells us that love should make us want to please him. People fall in love in church. I watch them and they all of a sudden do things they didn't do before. They shave. (laughs) Wash their face, brush their teeth, take money out of their wallet. All kinds of things that never happen, happen. And if you love somebody, you want to please them. And love, then it will drive out all lesser things in our hearts. And the same writer, John, will tell us that we love him because he first loved us. And to the degree you understand his love, to the degree you enjoy his love, it elicits from you then a love in return. We are responders. And he says here, and if you're responding, since you continue to love me, then guard my precepts, the things that I had to say to you, that the evidence, the authenticity of our love, he says, is our obedience, notice, to him. Christianity is not a creed, it's living with Christ, a living a risen Savior. Christianity is not just precept and principle, but it is obeying a person. Christianity is not law, but it is love. And he begins this portion of scripture he's going to move into by saying, look, if you are loving me in continuation, then guard the precepts I've given unto you. Uh, There's the fruit of that will be in our lives. And he says, I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Remarkable. know we're exhorted to pray in scripture if there's a failing in my personal life and there's lots of them but in the context here uh, i would think you know my prayer life needs to deepen it needs to increase Uh, i i make all kinds of provisions for other things and on many of those circumstances i could just really be getting alone uh, with him and you know I think, but for you and I, the door is always open. It's so easy to come to the throne of grace. You know, we have a high priest there touched with our infirmities that receives us. So the door is always open. We can go anytime. If the door was only open one time a year, then what would our prayer life be like? If we could only come to him once a year, a month ahead of time, we'd be writing a list, you know, i got to ask him this. i gotta, I got to bring this before I get this. You know, it would be like Yom Kippur, only one day a year, when the priest could go in and pour the blood on the altar. But the amazing thing is, this is not a challenge about our prayer life. He says this, I will pray. The, the Greek word is, I will ask, I will entreat, I will beseech. It's remarkable, because his prayer life doesn't need to improve and he says i will pray i will pray he will give i'm going to pray to the father and he will give you another comforter that might dwell with you forever the next verse is going to say 17 even the spirit of truth so he's saying here i'm going to go to the father i'm going to pray and the gift that the father will give to you will be the spirit the the trinities in that verse in verse 16 you have you have god the father who sends. You have God, the Son, who asks. You have God, the Spirit, who comes, who descends. You have you have all of them there, the giving, the redemption, the coming of the Spirit. And he, and he tells us there, look, <clears throat> this is what needs to happen. Now, it's interesting in verses 13 and 14, where it says, if you ask, whatever you ask, verse 14 again, you shall ask anything. In both those places, that word, ask, is a specific word that means to ask a superior. You're asking someone you're looking up that is superior to you, and certainly that's fitting when we're asking God. The word Jesus uses here, I will pray, that word, ask, beseech, and treat, is a specific word that means when you ask an equal, not a superior. And remarkably, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Father. And I'm going to ask him for something. And I'm going to do that on your behalf. And he's going to give, if I ask, another comforter. Remarkable picture there. That he may dwell with you forever. He tells us something there. Look, comfort. He's going to give another comforter. tells us several things. Number one, it tells us we need comfort. Or why would he even bring it up? tells us that he had been the comforter with his disciples. He rebuked the wind and the sea. He raised the dead. Think of all the things he did as he brought comfort to his own and to the people around him. And then he says there's another comforter. I'm not going to leave you alone. Another comforter is coming because we need that. Now, where he says another comforter, the word is alon there, and it means another of the same kind. In the Greek, you have two words for another. One is heteros, which means a different kind. That's where we get heterosexual. There's a difference. If we have here alon, it's another of the same kind. Remarkably, Jesus is saying to them, yeah, I'm going. Don't let your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another of a comforter of the same kind of the same nature. And John is the only one of the writers of the New Testament that use this word comforter here. We find it over in verse 26, but the comforter, and by the way, it's masculine throughout, as a person, which is the Holy Ghost. He tells us here, the Holy Ghost is masculine, a person. Over in chapter 15, verse 26, he says, but when the comforter shall come who I will send even the spirit of truth he says again in 16:7 nevertheless I tell you the truth it's expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter there it is again will not come and again he uses it in 1st John where he says this <clears throat> He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate comforter. Same word. We have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation, not for our sins, but for the, uh, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So John picks up on this. Here he is. He tells us the spirit bringing things to remembrance. And he remembers so clearly that when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, he said that he was a comforter. Not only was he a comforter, he was a comforter just like Jesus. But Jesus was leaving them to ascend to the Father. He was going, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And there at the right hand of the Father, evidently for 10 days, he prayed And after 10 days, the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. Peter will say in Acts chapter 2, this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, I'm going to pray the Father. I'm going to beseech him on your behalf. He will give you another comforter of the same kind, of the same nature. That you and I, whatever we're going through, whatever difficulty we face, when we feel abandoned by friends or relatives or spouses or classmates, if we're on a battlefield or we just got bad news from the doctor, we're laying in a hospital bed, we've lost a loved one, whatever it may be, there is a comforter. He's come because Jesus has asked the Father to send him. And that word comforter, paracletus, it means one who comes alongside. It means one who comes alongside to help. Beautifully, it means one who comes alongside to shoulder a burden with someone else. And when John uses it in First John, he translates it advocate, because sometimes that word in classical Greek spoke of someone in the courtroom who was there to represent you and take up for you. So he says this, look, I'm leaving, but I've sought the Father. I don't want your hearts to be troubled. And he's going to send a comforter of the same nature and of the same kind that I am. There will be no difference. And he will be able to be with all of you individually. And whatever you're going through, however difficult it is, however painful it is, He'll get his shoulder under the burden with you. You're not alone. Easy for us to study that this morning. I don't know what will happen between today and when Christ comes and blows the trumpet for us. But whatever difficulties we face, we're allowed to take this word inspired by the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you promised to be with me. You promised to put your shoulder under this burden and bear it up with me. You promised to be my advocate, putting this in front of us here in a wonderful way. And we don't have to worry. This is not the law that he's putting in front of us here. It's not, you know, what if I blow it, the Holy Spirit leaves. It's not saying that here. He's saying throughout the Holy Spirit is a person. Sadly, the church is so divided over the Holy Spirit some people have taken it and they've run to the extreme with it, charismania, and it's a, the, the Holy Spirit gets bad press sometimes from that group, and then the reaction on the other side is, "Well, the Holy Spirit's not doing anything today; he's not," you know. And there, but there is a balance, and the Holy Spirit is alive and well; he's working in the hearts and mind of the redeemed. He is there sometimes to work through us as well. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, there verse 2, I believe he says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve is the same word when Paul in 1 Thessalonians tells us there, that, that I don't want you to, to grieve as others who have no hope, to mourn. And that in that verse, it's the pain of caring for a loss, the loss of a, a loved one. And then he says that we should grieve not, same word, that we can bring pain to the heart of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Don't grieve him. And the context there is the way we use our mouth about each other, the way we would slander, the things we would do that don't represent Christ. He says, don't do that and grieve this one who's come alongside of you. First Thessalonians 5 tells us there that we should not quench the Holy Spirit, like quenching a fire, That he's working in our lives, sometimes to prophesy, sometimes to do, sometimes to have us go say something to someone else, sometimes to go have us love on someone else that's broken. And he says there, don't quench the Holy Spirit. To the unbeliever in Acts chapter 7, there's a challenge there. Do not resist the Holy Spirit like your fathers did. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ... Jesus said, no man comes unless the Father draws him. You can't come to Jesus today unless there's a drawing in your heart. The problem is not the drawing. Because God wants you to be saved. The problem is, do you resist that unction when it's in your heart and something's telling you, this is true. This is for you. You need to be saved. The world is coming to an end. There's a hope beyond this world in Jesus Christ. And, and I would say this, don't resist that. Don't resist that. But for you and I as believers, we grieve, we quench. Look. John also writes, you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And little children, I'm writing this unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, we have a lawyer, an advocate, a comforter with the father. In regards to Christ who died for our sins, not our sins only, but the propitiation for the whole world satisfied all divine justice. So for you and I, yeah, we mess up, we compromise, we make mistakes. It's not, you know, the Holy Spirit can't dwell with you. You know, you smoke cigarettes, how's the Holy Spirit going to get down there with all that smoke, you know? Do you think of all the legalistic stuff that goes on? No, we're indwelt. He says, I'm giving this comforter to you to abide with you forever not until the canon's complete, not until it's forever. You can grieve him along the way. You can quench him. But in the final analysis, he's our advocate, and he stands in the courtroom of the Father when we make a mistake, and if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us because we have an advocate with the Father. What a remarkable picture, this one who comes. And he says he comes to abide with you forever he comes to stay it's a permanent thing it is a gift from the father in answer to the prayer of the son and he says this one who is coming even the spirit of truth you'll find that in chapter 15 26 and 16 13 again it says even the spirit of truth the spirit of truth and it tells us this about him whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him it is not seeing him neither knoweth it it can't be knowing him but you know him for he is dwelling with you and shall be in you he tells us three things about the world with all the power the world has and all of the the, the way they manipulate humanity, and politics, and finances, and prejudice, and war, and yet with all of that power that they try to yield, there's three things beyond the power of the world. Number one, it doesn't receive him. It can't receive him. It can't receive him because it doesn't know him. And because it doesn't know him, it doesn't see him. Those three things. world we're living in, don't be surprised. This world doesn't receive Christ. You go try to share the love of Christ. You go try to witness to people. A lot of times you're just going to get shut down. You're going to get a hostile reaction because the world can't receive him. They can't receive him because it doesn't see him. They don't see. You're, you're excited about the return of Christ. You're excited about this scripture. You're thinking about, I can't go to, wait to go to church and sing praise. People think you're crazy because they can't see it. They can't receive it because they don't know him. But, he says, a great contrast to that. We know him. Noah's passive there, by the way, remarkably. He, He brings that to us. We know him, it says. For he dwelleth with you. Present tense. He is presently dwelling with you. Future tense. He shall be in you. Now, the, the remarkable thing there is Jesus is looking at these guys who are worried about unleaving, and he says, no, there's another one coming, the spirit of truth, who has been dwelling with you, enshrined in Christ, no doubt, through Jesus Christ. He has been with you. And he says, and he shall be in you, future tenth. The one who has been with them is going to indwell them. Certainly regeneration, certainly the work of the Spirit. But we know that when that happens in our lives, it will be forever. That will bring us to the Father's house, because it happens forever. And we're not to let our hearts be troubled with those things in view. So he says here, this will take place, the Spirit of truth the world doesn't see it, but you do. That's one of the things we have to realize. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes, worked in our lives. We see things we never saw before. The scripture rises off the page. If The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit wrote the scripture. The Holy Spirit makes it alive. The, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds. It gives us a completely different perspective of the world we're in. We could have gotten that if we'd have walked next to Jesus. He'd have talked to us. But he said, it's expedient that I go away, because if I don't go away, the the comforter won't come. He says, it's necessary for me to leave. So that each one of you, in this generation, in the next generation, and 2,000 years from now in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, so that each one of you can have a personal relationship with me. And I I will send the comforter, the same kind of comforter I am. That's the kind of comforter he'll be. And he will also get his shoulder under your burden and help you. He will also be your advocate in the courtroom of heaven. He is there for you just as I am there for you. The world doesn't know that. He says, you do. You know that. And he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you beautifully there he says i will not leave you the greek is orphanos i will not leave you orphans that's what they're kind of feeling that he's leaving he's leaving them alone like a father leaving his children he says i'm not going to do that i'm not going to leave you orphans and understand in this culture it meant something orphans were not cared for they weren't looked after Most in the mind of a religious Jew, the reason you were an orphan is it was sin somewhere in your life, your parents' life. You know, he says, I'm not going to do that. James would say in chapter one, pure religion and undefiled is this, to remember the fatherless and the widows in in their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. So God himself says, pure religion, undefiled is this, to remember the orphans. That's his own heart. And he says, "I'm not going to send you forth as orphans because he remembers us." You know, it's interesting. I was reading uh, this commentary this week, and a guy had talked about going through an adoption process. And he said, "The in our state, the papers I had to sign said that the birth parents had the right to disown the child. It could be legal." But the adoptive parents did not have the right. That the natural parents had the right to give up the child and disown him. But the people that were going through all the trouble to adopt that child did not have the right to disown him. And it's such a picture of Christ. You know, we've been adopted into the family of God. And that's by choice. He knew what he was getting and he picked us anyway. Right? Such love. Such love. And we love him because he first loved us. Not only that, he hasn't left us orphans. He's given us his spirit, which is a comforter of the same exact kind that he was. To be with us forever, he says. I will come to you remarkably. And um, um, he comes, no doubt he came to them after the resurrection. He came to them on Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. He's coming to us when the trumpet blows. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? He says, I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. That was, by the way, within a number of hours. Yet a little while, the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Hmm. Don't we? You see me, and because I live, you shall live also. What other hope is there? There's no other way, you know, to defeat the grave. There's no other way to stop the process. You know, I'm 22 in my mind. I'm 72 in my body. You know, uh, I'm living in denial. My warranties are all running out. You know, I've crossed the 70,000 year warranty. You know, uh, I, I need a new lube job, some oil, you know. Look, uh, but he says to us, because I live, you shall live also. And the, the tenses are beautiful. Because I, it's emphatic there. I myself live, present tense, because I myself am the living one. No one else. No one else has beat the grave. No one else has come out of the tomb. I myself am the living one. He says, because of that future tense, you Emphatic for yourselves will live also. Do you have that hope today? If you're here and you don't know Christ, what is your hope? Buddha, Krishna, the UN? You have way more faith than I do if you're trusting the UN to pull something out. Washington, let's not talk about that. (laughs) Right? We can't even successfully shoot down a balloon. And you're expecting his people to protect you eternally. Right? This is going to wrap up. Your eternal security is with the living one. Who has been with them, was with them, and is in us now. And because he himself, no other is the living one. I mean, Buddha's in a, in a pot, a temple somewhere. Zoroaster's in his tomb. Confucius is in his tomb. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Amen. We're going there again next fall. We wouldn't go if there wasn't. Why would you travel around the world to see where somebody was martyred? I don't even make it to the cemetery here most of the time, right? Because I encountered a distinction to all others. I am the living one Because of that, you also, you yourselves, as for you, you shall live, future tense. You're going to live as well forever. What a blessed hope. There's no heart trouble in that, you know. What happens between this morning and when this becomes a reality can be a little trouble. But he takes the time to say, Look, I haven't left you alone. You're making this journey. You think of the, the saints. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You think of the saints who are persecuted today around the world. You think of the, the Christians caught in the war in Ukraine. They're freezing cold with no heat or water. You think of the difficulties around the world. And whatever difficulties you might be going through, he says this, not me. I'm not handing out any kind of a guarantee. But his word says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, moving the quill of John to put it to the page. That I'm going to give you a comforter of the same kind as I am. And it will be just like having me next to you. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to put my shoulder under the burden in your life, wherever you are in the world. And I will be your advocate with the Father in the court of heaven, and because I live, he went through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, because I live, you're going to live also. Won't that be great? The trumpet's going to blow. I'm going to get the, the old 30-year model again, <laughs> redeemed, you know, shaped up the way it's supposed to be. I, I keep a picture of my dad around in his 30s, so I'll recognize him. Uh, I didn't know him then, uh, when I get there. What a blessing. You guys, easy for us to study this this morning and kind of break it down. Personally, I think, Lord, just let me, let me live this out, not just teach the congregation, Lord. you know, I know there are times I'm going to have to really believe that you're bending down and putting your shoulder alongside of me under the burden that is weighing me down. There are times, Lord, when I'm going to grieve or quench your spirit. I'm going to have to believe that you're in the court of heaven as my advocate before the Father, pleading my innocence because of your blood. Let me know him, not it, him. The Spirit is a person. Let me know him, Father, intimately. And let that promise ring in my heart, because you are the living one. I am gonna live. Amen, amen. Let's stand and let's pray. And if you don't know Christ this morning, let me let me do this. We're gonna worship, sing the last song. If you know you need to be saved, get out of your seat and walk down and stand here. In doing that, you are saying, "I am a sinner. I need forgiveness." If I die in my sins, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. We can tell you that. If I die in my sins, I don't know what's going to happen. They can be forgiven today. This one says, because I am the living one, you shall live. If you have the living one or accept the living one today, take him for your own savior. He says, if you do that, you will live. So my suggestion would be to you, don't resist... The Holy Spirit today. Forget about what I'm saying. There's a heart language. And it isn't Spanish or Russian or English. It is a language that every human being on the planet, whatever their culture, whatever their race, understands. Because it's spoken to the heart. And it says there, I love you. I died for you. You need salvation. You're on your way to hell. You need forgiveness. I've died for you. I took the bullet for you. I went to the gas chamber for you. I paid the price for you. My suggestion is if that is happening today, don't resist that. Don't resist it. Give in to his love. Come forward. We'd love to pray with you, for you. Give you a Bible, some literature, but let's bow our hearts. Father, I know you've overheard And we look to you today, Lord, as your sons and daughters, Lord, we we pray that as we do love you, that we could guard the precepts you've given to us. That we could, Lord, recognize and see and know the way the world could never, the comforter that's with us. We know you haven't left us as orphans. And we know you'll abide with us forever. And we know, Lord Jesus, because you're the living one. You've conquered the grave and death. That we shall live also. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. We pray for those here who may never have come today. They've only had religion. They've never had a relationship. They've only had tradition or liturgy or, or maybe nothing at all. But they've never known you. Lord, we pray that as we worship, lift our hearts, you would draw them today. Lord, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. It's your work. We trust you in that. We pray in your name. Amen.